0: But today, maybe more than most days, really having to rely on the Spirit and trust things happen the way that they're supposed to happen. Um, I am sometimes, uh, one of the things that I'm guilty of as a pastor, and I recognize this, is that a lot of times one of the things I love the most about Colby is uh, that I will take a text and I always want to see uh, like the secrets in it. I always want to see the next layer of the text and a lot of times I think it's a good thing. I think it's something the way it's kind of the way that God's made me to dig and to try to find nuggets and to share those nuggets. Um, sometimes in doing that uh, I miss the simple truths that are right on the surface and it's one of my favorite things about listening to Kobe preach because Kobe just he sees it all you know. Um, with that being said today what you're about to hear from me uh, I think will be uh, the most practical message i've ever presented you know like if i'm guilty of going the opposite direction today i'm going to be guilty of going this direction and um, and the message today is is just this it is uh, six questions to consult before you make an important decision that's what it's going to be are you all with me all right i'm going to give you six questions to consult before you make an important decision in life and when i say that I'm really having to rely on the Holy Spirit what I'm saying is I think there's got to be at least a couple of people here right now who are in a season where they're struggling with an important decision they got to make and they're not sure what to do or where to go and I'm trying to give you the, the steps today so that's what it's gonna look like I'm gonna pray and we're gonna dive right in let's pray together father we come to you in the name of Jesus and God I pray that you would move in our midst I pray um, that somebody would feel some freedom today when it comes to their life and their story and the choices that they have to make, and they would learn to trust in the Spirit's voice and to make that the, um, their priority, to make hearing and stepping, you know, to, to know that that's what they're supposed to do. And I pray that you give us eyes to see this one of what you want to show us and uh, ears to hear what you want to say to us. I pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Here we go. Question number one. If you're a note taker, write these down. Hey, even if you're not a note taker, write them down. What could it hurt? Here it is. Number one. First question, maybe the most important. What's the wise thing to do? What is the wise thing to do? The author, pastor Andy Stanley uh, years ago wrote a book called The Greatest Question Ever. The greatest question ever. and according to Andy Stanley, the greatest question that we can ask ourselves about any important decision is what is the wise thing to do? The passage that I want you to turn to for this one is John chapter one verse 14. John 1 verse 14. And this is what John 1:14 says. John 1:14 says, "And the word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In John 1.14, uh, the Greek word that gets translated to the English word, word, is the word logos. Or uh, Lagos, it's the word that we get the English word logic from. So when it's talking in 114 and it says, the word became flesh, what that text is trying to tell us is that the, in Jesus, the wisdom of God put skin on. The wisdom of God became flesh. So essentially, church, when asking the question, we get confronted with an important decision that we have to make. When If we're believers and we ask, what is the wise thing to do? we are essentially asking the question that was on many of our um, bracelets 25 years ago, WWJD. What would Jesus do? If Jesus is the wisdom of God become flesh, then to ask the question, what is the wise thing to do, is to ask in this situation, what would Jesus do? How How would he handle this? So that's the first one. What is the wise thing to do? Here's the second one. What is the collective counsel of my community? A lot of people miss this. Question two, what is the collective counsel of my community? And the text for this one comes from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15. And Proverbs 12, 15 says this. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. The reality of this uh, statement or this question is that many of us have blind spots that we don't know we have. I mean, have you ever noticed that you can have a friend who, um, who dates somebody? like who dates a guy or a girl, and uh, you and everybody who knows them knows that that person is bad for them, you know? But the only person who doesn't know it is the person that's in the relationship. My only one that's had that experience, right? I mean, like, you can clearly look in and go, that, uh uh-uh, that doesn't work. And you see it, but the only person who doesn't see it is the person who's in it. And, And that's not just true when it comes to relationships. That's true about a lot of our life decisions. You know, sometimes we can be a bit too close. Like sometimes we can be too involved to see it clearly. And so when we talk about seeking the wisdom of collective counsel, all I'm saying is find some people who love you and who love Jesus and ask them to tell you the truth. Ask them for their advice. Ask them to give their, I mean, even if it is about a relationship. Hey, do you think this is, do you think this is right? Do you think he's the kind of guy that I should, do you think this is the kind of girl? Do you think this is the kind of college that I should go to? Do you think I should leave town or do you think I should stay in town? What do you think would be better for me? And then take in their counsel. Listen to their opinions. I mean, the Spirit has to be the dominant voice in our lives, but we need to build some friendships with people we trust who are willing to love Jesus and who love us and who are willing to tell us the truth. I mean, I talked about it some last week. One of my prayers for you all when I left last week was that you all would be the kind of people who didn't have to blow up your lives before you listened to advice. Like that was, I left here, and that was really one of the things that was just like lingering in my mind. I was like, God, just don't, I mean, why not seek counsel now before things? Because a lot of people, it has to get to, you had to get in the pit before you start looking for a different way. And so that's the second one. If you have an important, if you're in the midst right now where you've got a difficult decision to make, find some people that love you, love Jesus, ask them for their Advice. Number one, what's the wise thing to do? Number two, what is the collective counsel of my community? And here's number three Do I have all the facts? Do I have all The facts that's Proverbs chapter 18 verse 13 Proverbs 18.13 says, If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and his shame. All that text is trying to tell us is we need to take in the fullness of the information before we make a decision. Do you know everything that there is to know about the decision that, that you're trying to make? I'm in a situation right now where I've got a couple of girls that are 17, and they're about to have to make college decisions, like where are they supposed to go, what are they supposed to do, and some of that includes like, you know, do we, do we maybe play basketball, do we maybe not play basketball, do we focus more on academics, like what, what angle do we take? And one of the things that I've noticed about a lot of kids, especially when you talk about um, athletes, is that, I mean, how many times do you see athletes decommitting from schools? You know, it's like they'll commit to a school and they'll be like, yeah, I'm gonna sign with Tennessee Tech or something, but then um, then while they've already signed with Tennessee Tech, another school that they would prefer to go to offers them a scholarship, and then they choose. They're like, we decommit from Tennessee Tech, and, we're not. and that's because they didn't take in the totality of the information. They didn't know what all their options were. So the third one is consider all your options. Weigh them all. Know as much, get as much knowledge about the subject as you can have before you come to a conclusion or before you make a decision. That's number three. This one's number four. Number four is this. Is this decision based on my own pleasure or a desire to please the Lord? Is this decision based on my own pleasure or a desire to please the Lord? I'm going to give you a couple of texts here. First one's Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. And Ephesians 2 10 says this it says for we are uh, God's workmanship Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them For we are his workmanship Created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them church the point of number four is this if you are a believer Your life has been bought with a price. You are now a servant of God's, and your primary desire is to be obedient to his will. It's not about, a lot of times, obedience, um, it isn't safe, and it isn't comfortable. And too many people in our world make their decisions based on their level of comfort. Like, is this going to be easy for me? Is this, you know, is this going to be, is it going to feel heavy, you know? We're told in the Gospels that we're called to pick up our own cross. And sometimes crosses are heavy, you know? Sometimes the things that we are called to, they're difficult. It's, it's not always easy. The second text I'm going to ask you to go to here is Luke chapter 17. Luke seventeen, and we are going to start in verse seven, and um, this is uh, this is a parable that's been wearing me out lately. Um, Lucas Fox, he uh, had a group of guys that until last week I'd been meeting with on on Tuesday mornings, going through the commands of Christ, and we finished up just this past week, and. Uh, Lucas gave this group of guys a challenge at the beginning of the year that we re-upped just, just last week as we ended. And um, a buddy from college uh, presented him with this challenge, and it really, for a lot of our guys, it's made a big difference. Lucas recommended that, uh, that everybody in our group take out a note card, get a note card, and you find a passage of scripture that you desperately need in your life in this season. And he said, write that scripture, write that verse or a couple of verses on that note card, stick it in your pocket with your phone. And every time you reach in your pocket to grab your keys or to grab your stuff, you pull it out and that verse is right there with you. You, know, you have this constant and consistent reminder of whatever truth it is that you're desperate for in this, in this season. So we were asked uh, this past week to re-up our verses and the verse that I chose comes from the verses that I'm about to read to you because this parable has been speaking to me in such a major way. And this is Luke 17 starting in verse 7. And this is the parable of the unworthy servants. Uh, Starting in verse 7 it says, Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he's come in from the field come at once and recline at table will he not rather say to him prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while i eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded so you also when you've done all that you were commanded say We are unworthy servants, we've only done what was our duty." Uh, The verse from that that I wrote down that I carry around in my pocket is verse 10. So you also, when you've done all that you were commanded, say, we're unworthy servants, we have only done what was our duty. The author, uh, John Corson, says about this parable and about this passage of Scripture, he gives this metaphor that I think really helps us understand it. Okay says uh imagine that me and mike morris the morris family live right next door to each other and let's say that in living next door to each other tornado comes through takes out the whole morris's house takes out their vehicles everything they own they lose it all they have nothing and uh, my house not touched at all perfectly still standing cars are still there the whole thing uh, ends, storm comes through, I go over to Mike's house and, uh, and feel like I'm supposed to help him, and so I go over to them and I say, look, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pay to have your house uh, rebuilt and I'm going to pay to get you uh, new vehicles and I'm going to take care of everything. Like you don't have to do anything. I'm gonna call Mike Hamlin. I mean, I can't build stuff myself. I'll call Hamlin. Hamlin will take care of it. I'll I'll bet everything that needs to be paid. I'll pay it. All bills come to me. I'll even take you to a car lot and let you get new cars. Pick out what you want. I'm gonna make sure that everything that you lost is restored. And let's say I do that for them. And then um, some time passes. It gets to be summertime, and uh, I'm my family. We're gonna go on a vacation to the beach and trash day at our house is on Tuesdays. And so uh, we're gonna be leaving on a Tuesday. And so I go knock on Mike's door and I'm like, hey Mike, um, yeah, we're leaving Tuesday morning, i want to take my trash down to the road, but uh, on, tomorrow morning if you could grab it and bring it back up to the house, we'll be out of town, so just make sure it don't stay down there on the sidewalk all week. And I go and I ask Mike to do that, and, um, and Mike's like, ah, I guess if I have to, you know, I guess if I have to, I will. And then um, and then he does it, and then I get back from my vacation, and he's brought it up. But then I see him outside, and I'm like uh, talking to him, and he goes, man, you, you didn't even thank me for pulling your garbage can up. You know, like I did that for you, and you didn't even say thank you. And uh, the point of that story is, and what I want to get across to you this morning, church, is... Um, Anything that we do for God is inconsequential compared to what God already did for us. Like anything we do for Him, you know? I love this passage of Scripture and it screams so loudly to me because I think what Jesus is trying to tell us, we live in a society that is constantly looking for affirmation and constantly looking for attention. And we're constantly wanting to be told, hey, you're seen and you're appreciated and thank you. And what I feel like Jesus is trying to tell us in this text in, in Luke 17 is he's going, hey, you you did the right thing. You were obedient to what I asked you to do. You served me in some capacity. You just did your duty. Like you did what you were supposed to do. You don't, people who do what they're supposed to do, like you're not owed a thank you for that. And I think that is a huge mental trend, like to get too many of us, part of that desire to see, to get thank yous, to get affirmation stems from a place that we see ourselves as the king and we see Jesus as our servant. And that mental shift has to happen to where we see Jesus as king and we are his servants. And when we make that mental shift, then is this decision based on my pleasure or on a desire to please him? That shift happens in our minds. Once we get to the point where, like, you're the king, I'm your servant, I do what you ask me to do, it's my duty. I don't need to be thanked. I do what I'm called to do. That, that makes statement number four easy. Is this decision based on my own pleasure or a desire to please the Lord? Hear me say this. Obedience is rarely easy or comfortable. Rarely easy or comfortable. Number five. Here's number five. Anybody still taking notes? Hey, thank you. I appreciate that. Number five is, is my decision based on fear or faith? Is my decision based on fear or is it based on faith? A couple of texts for this one. Romans 8.31 says this. Romans 8.31 says, What then shall we say to these things if God is for us, who can be against us? What then shall we say to these things if God is for us, who can be against us? First John 4 18 says this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love every decision that we make we need to make with the knowledge that we are seen and known and loved by a holy god now i know that this has been has been said before but one of the things that i really think made jesus such an exceptional person was that before he started his three years of public ministry. He was baptized by John in the Jordan and the heavens uh, awakened and the voice of God spoke over him saying, um, this is my beloved son and with you I am well pleased. Now one of the things that we tend to forget about that text is at the time that God spoke those words over his boy, he hadn't went to the cross. He hadn't healed anybody. This is before, even the, you know, the miracle at Cana. It, it, no miracles, hadn't went to, and still yet, God's speaking his words of love, or, oh, you are the beloved. Live in that belovedness. Church, when it comes to making decisions and important ones, we have to lay down our fear, and we have to know that we're the beloved. We have to hear the voice of God speaking over us, reminding us who we are in Him. Letting us know that we are seen and known and loved by Him. And that reshapes the way that we make decisions. I mean, I, it shapes the way we make decisions. I have to constantly, one of the things that that jacob stout prayed over me a couple of years ago that continues to linger in my life it was before a sermon where i came up here to preach and i was super anxious and i was super nervous and jacob in that prayer time he said um over as he's praying over me he said um god you've never failed um brock before uh why why would you fail him now You know, you've always shown up before. Why would you not show up right now? And so one of the things that I have to constantly do with my life is realize that the same God who has been faithful to me every day up to this one is probably going to be faithful to me tomorrow. You understand what I'm saying? That shapes the way you make a decision. When you go, you've been good to me all in that place and you're good to me today. You've been with me all in that place and you're with me today. So when I make a decision about the future, I'm just gonna assume you're gonna be with me then too. Makes a huge difference in, uh, in the decision making process just to know that in your future, God's gonna be there. And this is the last one and what I consider to be, uh, I already said the first one might be most important, maybe this one too, it's intentionally bookended. Number six is this, here's the question, Am I fully entrusting God with this decision? Am I fully entrusting God with this decision? This one is from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 30 verse 21. As far as the... Note card verses go. Um, this, uh, these words are written on my friend Jeff Gillis's note card, um, so starting as of, as of yesterday. This is Isaiah chapter 30, verse uh, 21, and this is what the text says. It says, and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. What I want, the concept that I want to leave you with this morning, church, is this one. I truly and sincerely believe that if you have a difficult decision to make, whether it be about a career, whether it be about a relationship, just any kind of decision in your life, I believe that if you walk through this process of seeking wisdom, of choosing faith over fear, of, you know, accepting and receiving the collective counsel of your community, of making sure that the decision you make is not about your own comfort, but it's about your desire to please the Lord. I sincerely believe if you do all those things, you can't make the wrong decision. I believe that what Isaiah thirty twenty one is trying to tell us is that if we are faithful and if we are pursuing holiness and we're doing all these things, that whether we turn to the right or to the left, we hear the voice of God behind us saying, Brock, this is the way, walk in it. This is the way, walk in it. And some of you need to hear that today because there have been a list of really difficult decisions or you're in the midst of a really difficult decision right now and you are doing the absolute best you can do to make the right choice and you're pursuing God and you're being pursued by God and you're seeking counsel and you're making a faith-based decision and something tells me that you desperately need to be reminded today that whichever decision you make, you're going to hear the voice of God behind you whispering, saying, my brother, my sister, This is the way. Walk in it. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus and God, we are grateful for your word. I pray for the person in the room who is in the midst of of a tough choice, whoever that may be. Maybe it's somebody watching online. Um, I pray that they would feel seen today. I pray for the practicality of this. I pray for some young people in the room who need to write these words down, place them in their pocket, and then recall them later when tough decisions come. God, thank you for being good to us, even on our bad days. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.